Hello folks, welcome to season three of our On The Call series produced by The Stars Among Us. I'm Ozzy and I thank you for tuning in to this thank you tour of mine, as each episode is a thank you card to someone who is impacted by life in one way or another. And on this 10th episode of season three, I'm shining light on Betty Lee. Isn't that a great little poem there? <laughs> Hello, Betty. Hello, Ozzy. Hi, hi, hi. Earlier on in her career in New York City, she was a runway model. She traveled all over the world for designers such as Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, Lisa Loire, Valentino, Bill Blast. For those who remember those names, um, eventually leaving <laughs> to work for Diane von Furstenberg and then right. opening her own boutique in the Hamptons. And she created handbag lines for Austin Couture, Christian Dior, the House of Chanel, and then came the wonderful beings in her life, the children Michael and Katie, oh. with whom she took and had great adventures living on a sailboat in the Caribbean, which I want to get into for about three years, right. and restoring an old farmhouse in upstate New York, and then onto the Food Network, making several guest appearances playing the David Letterman's first girlfriend. While at the Food Network, she traveled for the American Cancer Society, receiving an ACS Courage Award in 1996. And that was because it all tied into um, Betty, Be Betty being diagnosed with breast cancer. What? South Nashville, <laughs> where she worked for six years as a show host at Shop at Home, selling everything from Tiffany style lamps, home furnishings, skincare. Hmm. She's also worked for Thistle Farms, a nonprofit organization that employs women who are recovering from drug uh, addictions. Yes. And that's. We'll need to talk about that. She has been uh, a Reiki practitioner and meditation guide, folks. Right. As well as doing her spokesman work, her voiceover work, her modeling work to date. I mean, and then she's done articles for examiner.com um, for anti-aging skincare and New York Day spas. Now, people, on top of that, she has been painting and has sold some of her pieces. Now yeah. tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. How are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Hey. It seems so it. easy at the time. But when you say it, it's like, oh my gosh. You didn't say that I had my own granola company, the Black Poodle Granola Company. That's good to know. I, I didn't know about that. Tell me, let's stop there. <laughs> How did that come I about? just keep trying, Ozzy, yeah. like all of us. I just keep trying. Well, it's a wonderful thing. Now, <laughs> let me ask you something. The days uh, um, of working with the giants, such as Blast and Dan von Furstenberg, right. what, what are you feeling about that now? Uh, you know, with where you are in life right. and what you're doing? You know... I'm, I'm really glad you asked me that question because 
I was involved at that point with, as you said, the giants of American fashion. And I was this little girl from Pittsburgh who was in college at LIU and I saw an ad and all of a sudden I was, you know, with an agency and modeling and and I really loved that. I had friends who went to law school and I was like in Milan. I was okay with that. Um, but the those giants were giants in a completely different time. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really different. It was on the front page of Women's Wear Daily, how high your skirt should be or how low your skirt should be or what did Bill Blast think of this? Or And now after this pandemic has really proven you know who we are and what what's important and not yet maybe but we're getting there fashion is the last thing that is important at this point Mm. it's our strength it's it's what we give to the next person it's what we think about ourselves but fashion in those days was these guys were monumental. Some of them I was just afraid to even talk to. We we did handbags for Halston and there's a TV show now about Halston and it's all true. I mean, it was, they had so much power. Mm-hmm. A man named Donald Brooks and I worked for Donald for years and wow. what an elegant gentleman. Oh, wow, yes. Yeah, he was. Um, But the world is not in the hands of a few people anymore. Right. And that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing. And women are not dictated to how they're supposed to look. (laughs) I am enthralled by the idea of living on a sailboat for three years. Yes, yes. With two children. Yes. How was that? Well, I, mean, I know in one aspect it was adventure and was, you know, sort kind of fantastical. But really, how was that? It was, um, for one thing, you live on a boat and you are pretty much, we were moored, M-O-O-R-E-D. We right. weren't attached to a dock. Right. We were moored out in in the, the little bay of this, you know, this kind of cove. Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to get our laundry done, um, I mean, you could do it and with the seawater and all that, but to go to a laundromat, you'd have to get into a dinghy and you'd have to drive that dinghy into town and you'd tie it to the dock and you'd carry everything to the, to the, it was, it was, um, it's very intense. I mean, every, your life depends on your ability to keep that boat in good shape. Mm. Um, it's not like, you know, you can't leave toilets open. You can't, you know, you just can't. But how was it? We say one day, you know what? There's a little island. No one lives on it. Why don't we go there and have lunch? And we put the dinghy in the back and we would sail out to this island. There was not one person on the island and we'd take all our stuff off and we'd have lunch. We saw nobody and we'd swim and you know, it came to be dark, getting dark. We'd get back in the boat and we'd head back to, you know, our little place in the world. And it was, um, it was brilliant. It would, you have a lot of responsibility when you run a sailboat. Right. Do you think that your children, that they were the age where that affected them in a positive way later in life? 
I think yes. And I also think they were taken out of school and they weren't with their friends and they weren't in like a school in a city. You know, they um, kind of, I think they missed that. But then again, Ozzy, what would happen was we'd pull into a place and all the kids who were on the boats as prisoners, but uh, who were on the boats would get off the boats and they'd all run to shore and without five words between them, they'd all start playing. It was very, very wonderful. That was wonderful. And they get on each other's boats and can I sleep at so-and-so's boat? It was kind of that. So it, um, being that you did this yeah. in the Caribbean, were you able to see different, you stopped at different uh, countries? went from Fort Lauderdale all the way really down almost to Venezuela. Wow. So we just went down that thing and then we went on the Maloja Pass. And the Maloja Pass is like a very, very dangerous thing. And you can wind up in Africa or you can go where you think you're going. It's just wow. incredible. Well, just so, seeing, are you saying that you ended up near Venezuela when you're going from Florida? you have would have had to pass a, a number of different countries so right when you stopped off was there any favorite country that that caribbean island let's say that you that stays in oh, your that's mind so interesting. some of them are so beautiful nevis which nobody really goes to because it's hilly i mean it's kind of grass and hilly it's not beachy at all is a really nice place um, there's a lot of uh, myth about these islands. A lot of these islands are very um, unpopulated and people don't go there. And you can go there and they're very native mm -hmm. and they're very beautiful. And um, I wouldn't, I don't know that there is a favorite there. That Some of them were so clean and so pure that you'd be in a boat and you couldn't tell the sky from the water. You know what I'm saying? The water was so clear. It was as clear as the sky. And you'd be there and you just think this is this is what the life and the world has to offer. And we're all worried about department stores or what, you know, I'm just saying we're just worried about consumerism. But when you get down there, boy, nature really calls to you and says, no, just turn around and look what I've got to offer. It's just beautiful. Around what time between that and Food Network when you when you found out that you had uh, diagnosed with breast cancer? So I left the boat and, and the man on the boat and he also lived in uh, Millbrook and the kids and I went to um, Millerton, which is a very, um, very, it was a mill town. I mean, literally. And we went and lived there in a great old house. And um, I went to a doctor, which I think is an important thing. And I really want to spread this and I want you all to think about it. I went to a doctor three times and I said, I believe that this on my left side, there's something here and it looks a little strange. And he'd say, nah, it's nothing. I went back to him three times. After the third time I went to the hospital and I said, I need someone to take an X-ray. And he said, we need a doctor. I said, I am telling you, I've been to a doctor three times. Mm -hmm. And they took the X-ray and they said the best thing I've ever heard, not the best thing I've ever heard, but the best way of saying this, they said, um, there's a mass and it's more than suspicious. Mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. And then I I knew what they were saying and I went to a friend and my friend um actually my ex-husband I said do you know any doctors who do this and he said actually my sister's married to one and I I had surgery I had a lumpectomy and radiation once and then it that 95 and then in 2013 and 2014 I had two other incidents so I had it three times Wow. Did you yes. ever go back to that freaking doctor? I didn't. And you know, I never called him and I never told him and I never made a fuss about it. And I went to his partner who actually my daughter went out with his son kind of thing. And I said, "I just want to tell you something. This happened." Right. And he kept saying, "Well, you're of a certain age, maybe you should take um estrogen and I mean, it couldn't have been a worse thing." So that happened and here i am so many years later yes and i think i think i went through it so i can tell you your audience tonight right. today whenever they listen right. that after three times and here i am hardy stock yes think, yeah and i think one of the things is that i can spread the word how did the courage award come about Oh, thanks for asking. Well, in the beginning when this happened, I um was involved with the American Cancer Society. Somehow they got wind of the story that I and in New York and I was living in the country then and they got wind of my story and they were kind of interested about taking your health into your own hands. Had I not gone to that hospital that day, um there's no telling i don't i don't even want to think about it but um they heard about that and they contacted me and then they asked me to be uh to speaking to women who are just facing a diagnosis women who are you know women who are in that that area mm-hmm. and i did and i've done that a lot and like kind of you call people at home and you kind of talk to them in their own place you're not you know giving a speech somewhere and you just kind of if you say that i mean i've gone through this this many times and i'm this old and i'm very alive and well and i i have that, those credentials to share with people right and then how did you get involved in the uh, organization that employs women with drug addictions so I'm um, actually as I said I worked for the Food Network. I was their spokeswoman for a few years. I did the David Letterman show and a couple times and then um the Food Network owned scripts that that scripts Howard and they said would you please not be on the Food Network and go work at a home shopping network in in Nashville which is like I I mean I can't I'm it's like saying can you go to the moon and bring back a sample tomorrow night I mean I was like what but I said I don't know and my son and I went down to Nashville and he said mom I love it here I love I want to go to a private public school I just want to be a guy and live in a house and go to school I said you got it So I moved down there. Mm-hmm. And um that was quite a, you know, learning how to, you know, live in the south. My mother was from the south, but living in the south and 
And then they kind of, you know, told me what you need to do. It's pretty much fly by your pants. You know, you just, they, as, as they say, you tell people they have a problem they didn't know you they had, and then you give them a solution. <laughs> you know, they didn't even know they had the problem a half an hour ago, but suddenly you've got the thing they need. And um, then I did that. And while I was there, I was going to an Episcopal church at Vanderbilt University, which was really near where I lived. And my son said, I know Becca Stevens was the woman who was the minister there. And she said, and he said, I would love to go because I love her sons. And so we went and we went a lot. And then she said, I'm really interested in taking women off the streets, drug addicts and prostitutes. And she literally took a uh, her car and she would get coffee and those paper things, cartons and donuts, and she would sit on um, Dickerson Avenue, which is a pretty funky part of Nashville, and that's where the women are, and she would sit there and offer them coffee and donuts. Uh, some of them took it and got in people's cars and were prostitutes, and some of them stopped, and she rented a house with her own money, and she put five women in a house, and the rest is history. I mean, she's created this incredible network. I mean, when I went, I got a recipe on how to make candles off the internet, and we were making candles and we couldn't keep the wick straight. Now they have a $2 million facility. Oh. And um, yeah, and um, I gave it everything I had. I also worked at something called TPW, which is Tennessee Prison for Women. I worked there for almost the whole time I was in Nashville. It was a, it was a wonderful experience for me and for them. A lot of them got out. You know, I was a, I was a volunteer and they were really hungry for volunteers at that point. And I would teach a class in meditation and I would literally do guided meditation then we would do um, yoga. And I mean, if I am not the Dalai Lama, I mean, but whatever I did, it was great. And I was there a long time and I learned to do Reiki and the women learned to do Reiki. And um, do I have time to tell you a quick little story? Sure. Okay. I'll make it quick. There was a woman there called Lulu and she was um, one of my students and she was very dynamic um, and she was a really a wonderful person. And she was very, you know, she said, I've been in here 19 years and I'm not eligible for parole. And, but she was the smartest, the best, the funniest, the most alive, the most caring. She was unbelievable. And I said, how could you not be eligible for, she said, I'm never eligible. I said, did a lawyer tell you that? She said, no, I just know. I said, well, you know what, Lulu, why don't we try? The parole board's coming, why don't we try? She said, no, I'm not eligible and blah, blah, blah. So one thing led to another and we got her an appointment in front of the board. And the way that happens is that one woman after another woman after another woman comes up and Lulu came up and she started selling telling, I don't know how many people are on the board, but I would say six. 
but she started telling the story of why she was there. She said, I'm not eligible. The man said, really and truly, this is not, that's not important. I, what happened? She said, well, a woman was in my bar and she was selling drugs and I told her to leave and she left and she pulled a gun on me. And she said, and I had a gun and I pulled a gun on her and I shot her and I killed her. And he said, but you were defending your property and yourself and your, yes, I was. And she pulled the gun first and I have witnesses. Well, one thing led to another and he said, you're eligible for parole and we're gonna go and we're gonna talk about this. What did your lawyer say? My lawyer only met with me for a half an hour and the rest of her life, she's been in this thing. Anyway, she was sitting there and the, the, they came back, the parole board came back and they said, recommend parole, recommend parole, all six of them recommend parole and she got out of jail. Wow. And what did she do? She got a job because they weren't allowed to use email. She watched a television show about the Bellmead cafeteria and she called them up and she said, I would wrote to them, I would like to a job there. He said, what are you in jail for? She said, murder, but I'm getting a parole. He hired her wow. and she still works there. This is like 15, 20 years later. Wow. I'm so glad to tell you that story. I could just walk out of here right now. But that, that happened. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But here's yeah. another question. What was the headspace you had to get into to live in the South? And I'm glad you're asking this. When Obama was running for president, I left. And I said to my son, this is... I don't want to fight with people. I don't want to defend people. I don't want to say they're right, they're wrong. I just want out of here. This is not my place. And I moved back to New York City. It is It is what it is. And it, it's like, I don't eat meat because they slaughter animals, but um, it is what it is. And it's, uh, nobody likes each other. It's, it's such a tough thing. My son is a coach and one of the kids on his team was um, the greatest. He used to play lacrosse with a cigarette lit in his mouth. And we went down to a tournament, um, maybe maybe Chattanooga. And we stopped at like mid-Tennessee, like, and we stopped there and he said, I'm not walking into this place. And I said, of course you are. We walked in and it was dead silence and everybody looked at us and I thought, holy shit, I never saw anything like that. Mm. Um, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to believe everything's going to be okay. It's not like that. It's, it's like, you know, a hundred years ago. We worked on two things together. Chico. Right. And I had the weirdest experience. Getting out of bed, I was walking on a slant. Getting my clothes on, I was my stomach was upset. But I knew that I needed to get out of the room that I was in. Um, wow. I needed to get out just in case something happened to me, somebody needs to know. And I knew that you were waiting, you were waiting for me for dinner. And I remember walking in and I could not, it was a fight to walk vertically. You were looking at me, and I saw that you recognized that something was wrong. In a bar, you're in a restaurant, you're in a bar, or whatever, and people don't, people see, but they don't see. Here, you were able to perceive that something was really wrong with me. Like, I was too sensitive to it. I was, just couldn't get my equilibrium correct. The way that you were able to connect with me and 
walk me through it. You're just so connected. I didn't know, I, you didn't say to me, I can't believe this is happening to me. I totally saw it. You said, well, what can I get you to drink? What can I get you? Right. And I right. just said, a shot of rum. Right. And even then, when that was happening, the hail came down like really hard again. It was crazy. Yeah. Crazy scary. But there was a connection that I made this time with you that was just so special. And right. whether it was because of the hail, it, it just felt very sound. So I really am so thankful for that because honestly, I just couldn't understand what was happening with me. I was fine all day. I was rested. I tried to get up out of the bed to look at the hail and I had to hold on to the table, to the window, to the chair, wow. to walk to put on my clothes. I was not able to stand straight. I was, uh, it was just very scary. And then you put it in perspective where you were the one who said, you know what? When I told you what happened, you said, you're sensitive to the electrical force. Thank you so much. Thank you so uh -huh. much. At that point, I didn't see anything, but I was really going out of my mind. I thought it was- Oh, I can imagine. But you had the wherewithal to leave your room and I mean, you could have laid in bed with the rib room spinning. Yes. Yes. I you knew didn't. I had to get out. I knew how to get out. I had to get do that and I had to open the wind, open the blinds. Because when I take a nap when I'm in hotels, I shut the blinds, make it all dark, the whole room dark. Right. I open up the blinds. Oh, how bed. good you can do that. So with that, tell me, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Because one of the things oh. I like that you say with your podcast is that the dessert course of my life. Course podcast, yes. And I call it that because a writer named Walter Isaacson wrote Steve Jobs' autobiography. He's done a lot, and he decided, like at this stage of his life, like in his seventies, to write about Leonardo da Vinci. And someone said, what? Well, you could have done that 25 years ago. He's been dead a long time. He said, oh no, I saved Da Vinci for the dessert course of my life. So I call this the dessert course of my life. I know Walter, he's always on MSNBC, I love him. And he's so smart and he's so good. Yes. And he, he writes the, he's he's absolutely wonderful. And when he said, this is the dessert course of my career, that's what he said. Uh -huh. So that's what I call my podcast, the dessert course of my life. And I really interview just the, just people who are people who have something to share. I met a man on a set the other day who had come from Lebanon and he escaped and his story of how he got to New York, you know, 30 years later is just totally unbelievable. And I would interview him and I interview when I, a man who quit doing everything he was doing and he just gives back to kids. Mm. And um, he's really one of the most remarkable people I know. He, he gave up everything. That's all he wants to do. One of the lines that he used was uh, some courses are sweeter than others. And I just love that line that you use. Right. That into dessert course is just like, yeah. <laughs> right. Great. Line. Well, it's true. 
It's true. And, you know, sometimes we allow ourselves ice cream and sometimes we don't. Really, really love you. And I really, really want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. It was great. My audience, thank you very much for spending your valuable time with Betty and I today. Please care, share, and remember, when you're on your beat, stay on the sunny, sunny side of the street. (laughs) Be mask conscious. And Betty, what is the name or the URL of your podcast? Is Dessert Course of My Life. That's the name of it. Thank you so much, Ozzy. I I love you and I really enjoyed this. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye, honey. Bye, Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye.